Item one, fan base. Ways to increase the American fan base. What fan base? The fan base of the band. Well, you mean Mel? Mm. It's not a fan base, it's just a woman. Yeah, but I'm, I'm calling it fan base from now on. It's just easier when I call, because, you, you know, you say, oh, the fan will be there. Just, you know, they can tell there's only one person. I'm trying to make it look bigger. It's a base, put base on the end of it. Okay? That sounds good. That sounds better. Well, I came up with that. Good morning, and welcome to episode 262 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller, and this is going to be a weird one, I guess. We're deviating from the formula a little bit. Okay. Uh, So neither of us has what you would call a topic. Um, (laughs) So so we've... We've, yeah. we've decided to do sort of an all-banter episode. We have things that we uh, have noted and want to mention, but do not merit a topic on their own. So we're just going to talk about a bunch of things, and maybe it'll be a little unfocused, and maybe some of the things will turn out to be more interesting than others, and we'll talk about them more. I think it's going to be almost totally unnoticeably different. Like I don't think I don't think anybody's going to notice. I think if you hadn't said anything, uh-huh. we would have been just fine. Yeah. Well, I was just worried about what would happen when when I asked what your topic was and you didn't have one and I didn't have one. So this way we. I was going to give you a choice, but I don't have to give you a choice now. Yeah. So okay. my topics are my topics are Tim Linscombe and, and Kenley Jansen. Uh, do you want to tell me your banter's, or do you just want to uh, banter? Yeah, just want to banter, and, and I was going to bring up Jansen also, so maybe we can start there. Okay, so uh, Jansen, uh, thanks to everybody who alerted us, Jansen threw a hidden perfect game today. Um, well, not today, over the course of multiple weeks. Um, but hidden perfect games are a thing that this podcast has come out uh, in support of. We like them. Um, and Jansen is, you know, kind of doing what Kimbrell did last year, which is to say uh, kind of making baseball a little bit scary, where you sort of imagine this hellscape where there are a bunch of pitchers pitching like Kenley Jansen and nobody ever scores and the game is like just nothing but gifts of pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, but in his last now 36 innings, um, he's got an ERA of one. Exactly. He's got 53 strikeouts and three walks, which is an 18 to one strikeout rate. And um, notably, he's doing that with a completely normal Babbitt. Um, and I don't know. I mean, Jansen is the most extreme one pitch pitcher in the game. I, I was just when I was writing about Sean Doolittle, you and I were talking on Gchat about this. Jansen has, I, I think, thrown 51 non fastballs this year um, in, you know, like 50, 60 innings, something like that. Um, I mean, he throws 95% fastballs, or you might say 95% cutters. And he's not only a one-pitch pitcher, but you know, he's another guy who came from nowhere. He was a he was a high A catcher, I believe, who was okay, but not a particularly good prospect. So they put him on the mound. A year later, he was um, in the majors, and like three years later, he's uh, you know arguably pitching as well as any pitcher in history has ever pitched, mm-hmm. uh, more or less. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it's worth noting, right? I mean, yeah. he's, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, this kind of goes back to the conversation that we had initially with, with, uh, I think Ernie Frieri and whether like these guys 
particularly, I guess Frieri, we kind of wondered how long it was going to last, but um, with relievers who are just this dominant at this point, um, you just wonder whether they present any sort of existential threat to the game as we know it. Um, and particularly when it's a guy like Jansen, who, you know, isn't the result of years of training or, um, you know, anything like that. He just basically is a guy who showed up and had a good arm and you don't need much more than that. Just mm-hmm. by having a good arm, he was instantly a dominant reliever. And right now he's, um, he's, he's the, he's like kind of the least suspenseful thing in baseball. It does sort of seem, I mean, there are definitely more of these guys, but uh, it seems like they don't necessarily sustain it for all that long, The any one of them. Um, mm-hmm. Like you wrote about how, how Craig Kimbrell is still great, but he is not really a, a fun fact machine like he yeah. was last year. Like he's, you know, he has a 1.19 ERA, which is almost <laughs> uh, indistinguishable <laughs> from his ERA last year, but he's striking out about two fewer guys per nine innings. He's walking one more. He's giving up a home run now and then. He's not he's not quite as unhittable as he was last year. Uh, so we we keep seeing more of these guys, but I don't know what the, the lifespan of any one of them is, really. Uh, yeah, I, uh, Kimbrell has, since I wrote that, been... Uh, better as well, mm-hmm. uh, which might be worth noting. But uh, yeah, Kimbrel is maybe the closest thing. I mean, Kimbrel, like you noted, the the ERA is insane. Um, yeah, Chapman was basically this guy last year, and and Chapman hasn't quite been that this year. He's as I would say he's basically as unhittable, but um, his inability to uh, you know to to keep his walks at a crazy low level mm-hmm. has disappeared. I mean, they, it's true. Everybody has some sort of weak spot. Um, and you just don't notice it until it shows up. I mean, with Jansen right now, it's impossible to imagine that guys are going to start hitting him. Um, but it always feels that way until guys start hitting you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, Jansen's interesting too. I think one of the things that's interesting about Jansen is that he only throws 92 really. Um, and the, compared to the other all fastball guys who are free Ari McGee and, and Doolittle, that's not that, that's not that fast. I mean, that's slower than all those guys. Um, and I mean, he, he throws a cutter and we've seen a guy have a long career, basically throwing a cutter over and over again and never losing his dominance. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, Rivera was always the exception. Yeah. Um, my question to you is going to be, uh, how does the difficulty of a hidden perfect game compare to one that's out in the open? To you, what what percentage of the of the difficulty of a of a traditional perfect game is a reliever just stringing together nine perfect outings? Because uh, well, obvi- yeah. on the one hand, I mean, obviously it's it's much easier to throw three innings at a time and and rest in between outings, um, or or one inning at a time and and, and rest between in outings. Uh, on the other hand, you do. I mean, Jansen did that over nine appearances of one inning. Uh, so over a two-week period, and I wonder, uh, as the number of appearances increases, whether you increase the odds of just having a bad day, uh, just for whatever reason that day your mechanics are out of whack or something, or you're not feeling well, or you're you know, not, not in a condition to succeed as much as you were another day, so maybe that would make it harder than just concentrating it all on one day, plus you... You probably face a uh, tougher competition, I would guess, than you do 
in in a single game because you would have to face. I mean, if you're a closer like Jansen, it's a close game when you come in. Uh, you'd have to face pitch hit, pinch hitters. Maybe it would be a, a more difficult level of opponent. So how do you how do you think they stack up? Um, well, I mean, for well, for one thing, I mean, the most obvious thing is that if you remove the kind of arbitrary requirement that the perfect game must start on the first batter of a game and end on the 27th, I mean, a starting pitcher has 30 chances to throw a perfect game every year. Mm-hmm. Jansen has had 190 chances to throw a hidden perfect game this year because any 27 batter stretch mm-hmm. can be the stretch, right? So for that reason, it's obviously much, much easier statistically. Mm-hmm. Um, but as to the spirit of your question, um, I I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's true that a perfect game that a pitcher throws is uh, more likely to come in a situation where, uh, like, a lot of kind of outlier conditions are present. So mm-hmm. against a, a bad offense in a good hitter's park right. um, and on a day when he has great stuff and maybe a, a favorable umpire and, you know, maybe a, you know, a framing catcher. And so um, you're much less likely to have those conditions nine days in a row. Yes. Um, but... I mean, you know, relievers are just so much, so much more dominant that um, it's hard to take it quite so seriously when it's Kenley Jansen. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, uh, well, the other thing is, uh, do you think that it's, uh, if you have a perfect game going through seven in, in the real world, you know, it's through seven innings, everybody knows you have a perfect game. Do you think that you're more likely to throw to get the next six guys out or less likely than you normally would be in kind of a, uh, a random situation where you're not sweating and you're, mm-hmm. um, you're not nervous and your defense maybe is, are, you know, maybe the defense is nervous or maybe the defense is alert and maybe the hitters are focused or maybe the hitters are getting outside themselves. I mean, yeah. what, what do you think is the, ad- that is, uh, that's a good question. I guess I, I would speculate less likely uh, that you're that you're more likely to pitch worse, um, just because you'd be so conscious of it, and maybe once you get so conscious of what you're doing and not making a mistake that could screw you up, then again, uh, you probably really really want to get those outs, and maybe you're you're reaching back and throwing a little bit harder, uh, which is something that we do see pitchers do in in high leverage situations. So um, so maybe. That's the case that you're trying harder and you want it more, but then again, your opponents probably are even more motivated to to do something good. So uh, I would say it. I, I guess it kind of washes out, but probably probably you're less likely to to get it from that point on. So uh, not to belabor this point, but um, Jansen. Jansen's achievement was, as I'm, I'm I'm told, acknowledged by the Dodgers broadcast, but like after the fact uh-huh. and just kind of, you know, like, oh, look at this, what he just did. And then uh, basically nobody, nobody dogpiled on the mound is what I'm saying. And so uh, that continues to rankle me somewhat, the kind of arbitrary <laughs> nature of what we what we like. Um, and this was also on display for Lincecum's start today because uh, Tim Lincecum, I believe, allowed... Was it one base runner or two? I think he allowed one base run. No, two base runners, right? I think he walked somebody and he gave up one hit. Mm-hmm. And um, he was pulled after 108 pitches, throwing a shutout. And as we talked about, he was, when he had allowed four base runners through eight innings two weeks ago, uh, he was allowed to 
throw 148 pitches so that he could get a no hitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that always bugs me a little bit, but that's not what I want to talk about. So mm-hmm. I want to bring up Lincecum because uh, he's pitching very well of late. He's got yes. um, he's besides the sort of two incredible signature starts that he's had um, in the last month or whatever. He's just basically been, you know, he's had a great strikeout rate, a, a much better walk rate. Other than really one bad start, he's been kind of lights out for like eight or nine starts now. And um, a couple years ago, I was talking to a friend and I suggested that the Giants should sign Linscombe like right then for something like 15 years and, and $250 million or something. And it was like way before they had to. And I was kind of joking, but the premise of this argument was that, you know, you, you look at Lincecum and you know that pitchers are, are unreliable. You know that they, they have, uh, you know, they have surgeries and they miss entire years and, you know, they have, you know, bad seasons and they have to adjust and all this. Um, but I was thinking that Lincecum, even if those things happen, even if he missed an entire season for surgery and, and maybe missed half of another year and maybe was terrible for a year, but, he would still end up basically making like $350 million in his career or something because teams are incredibly quick to forgive a bat, you know, a struggling pitcher. Like they, uh, it takes only a few starts before teams see this guy as like being back and mm-hmm. having it back. And so even if like, if Linsicum, so, so in my head, I'm thinking, okay, so let's say Linscombe hits free agency in 20, 13 before the 2014 season and he signs a five-year deal and then he misses the second year completely because he has shoulder surgery and then he's not very good the third year and then he's you know pretty good in the fourth and he's pretty good in the fifth he's still going to get paid a lot because the second and third years are like distant past at that point Mm -hmm. and uh i don't think this was a particularly good argument that i was making but there's like a nugget of something there and you saw it with garza when um garza had had basically six good starts after his trade value was down to basically nothing. He, he didn't pitch for almost a year. Uh, he had kind of a, like a long recovery from injuries that weren't expected to take that long. He had a pretty awful start to his season and yet it took six good starts for his trade value to get like arguably back to where it was at the beginning. And so now I bring this up because we have talked at least once, <laughs> maybe three times or more yes. about what, what we expect Tim Linscombe, the free agent, to get this offseason. And it's just he's a totally different pitcher now than the last time we talked about him. He's, like, completely different. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that some GMs uh, have forgotten, and maybe that's prudent. Maybe that's right to forget. Maybe all that matters for a pitcher is, like, the only data points that matter for a pitcher are maybe, like, what he's done in his last six starts, uh, what he's done in his best season so that you kind of have an idea of what his his peak is and whether or not he's a pitcher. And if you once you once you factor in that he is a pitcher and that the risk is kind of basically equal for all of them or like at least it's high for all of them, you just do that, you factor that in and then you 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 figure out what to pay him. So <laughs> I, what, what I, do you what do you pay Lincecum now? jeez. Uh, uh I mean, I think there is something to that compared to position players. Certainly I'm I guess I'm more willing to change my opinion quickly on a pitcher just yes. just because it I mean it seems like uh, pitchers can reinvent themselves more easily or, yes. or and you can just evaluate them more easily. I mean you can you can scout a pitcher based on one start 
you can't really scout a, a position player based on one game so much. You have to sit on a series at least. And um, and a pitcher always has either, you know, I mean, he can throw harder, he can throw faster, he can throw something new, uh, and just kind of completely change his profile overnight almost. Uh, whereas there's no real equivalent to that for a hitter. I mean, a hitter can can change his stance. Uh, which we see happen all the time with no real change in performance, or you know you could lose bat speed or something. That's it's kind of hard to pick up. And uh, so so yeah, last time we talked about Lincecum, I, I guess maybe it was kind of at the low point of his season. Um, and I remember being very down on on his free agent hopes, and and I don't remember what number I quoted, but it was it was a low number. Uh, so I, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I, I don't think I would change it that much because I mean, he's still. Is he? Is he? Has he been completely different? Has he done? You know, is he throwing harder? Is he? I mean, his. I guess his command has been better, which was a problem for a while there. Well, his um, breaking ball's been incredible. Uh huh. So and what? What I've seen at least has just been like, like, like holy cow. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if he if he finishes the season like this, then he's going to make a lot of money, uh, I think, pretty clearly. Well, he still he still has like a 78 OPS plus, too. <laughs> ERA so, plus. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, ERA plus. So uh, it's 76 going into today. Mm-hmm. So which is one of the worst in like giant Giants franchise history. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there is, st- I mean, that's a reminder that like this is a, this is a guy who has, uh, you know, shown the capacity to let you down hard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's if I guess part of the question is it's easy. It's probably easier to say how much he makes per year than it is how many years someone gets him. Actually, am I reading this right? He has. Uh, OK, that's just because he had one bad start after the break. I was looking at his his first half, second half splits. Um so I don't know. I don't think there's any level he could pitch at for the rest of the season that some team would would give him a contract like he would have gotten a few years ago. Um, but you know, we were at the point where we were wondering if anyone would sign him to be a starter, uh, and the, it seemed like the Giants didn't really want him to be a starter. That they were only starting him because they didn't really have an alternative, and his future seemed to be in the bullpen. Um, so yeah, I mean, if he finishes the season like this, then that that seems to be completely out the door. Um, um, okay, so let me ask you. Well, no, never mind. I won't ask you that. <laughs> okay. Um, well, okay. So I'll, well, I will ask you that. So um, I, I mentioned the ERA plus is is still awful. He has the same. What do we call it? Fra? Do you call it fra? <laughs> I do. Yeah. <laughs> Fair run average. Yeah, he has the same fair run average this year going into today's start that he did in 2010, uh, which is when he finished 10th in Cy Young voting. And after today's start, it will be better than he had in in 2011, which is when he finished 6th in Cy Young voting. Uh, Do we consider this relevant? Uh... Well, he had a he had a big didn't he have a big FIP ERA split even last year? He was like he I, did. Yeah. He has I mean, every year every year, every, right? every year for the last four. He's had a big FIP ERA. Uh, no, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm I'm confused. Uh, yes, last year he had a huge FIP ERA yeah, split, full run, and 
Uh, yeah, full run. And this year it's almost a full run. So, I mean, it seems relevant. Uh, I mean, we know that, that that doesn't work for some pitchers as well as others. Um, but two years. Two but, years is an awfully small amount of time to start. Yeah, not even two full seasons. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he, and he wasn't really uh, someone who had that sort of split before. So, so yeah, I, th- I think it's relevant. Um, and, and there was lots of stuff. I mean, last year... Uh, I guess he didn't finish with that high a Babbitt, but for most of the year he had a pretty high Babbitt, and and he was still striking out people, and it was just like his command seemed to be off, and he was just he seemed to be throwing just leaving more mistake pitches over the middle, or uh, seemed to be getting hit harder because of that, even if it wasn't showing up in some of his peripherals. And okay, new question. Yeah. Uh, basically, if you ignore ERAs and just looked at his FIP and fair run average, he is essentially, have, his last four years are essentially the four years Anibal Sanchez had uh-huh. before he had free agency. <laughs> the FIPs the FIPs are basically the same. The fair run averages are basically the same. Lincecum has the edge in, in some, and, and Sanchez has a couple where he maybe has the edge. Um, Sanchez got 5-75, and 75, right? Yeah. Um, who... Oh, you know what? This partly okay. So, I actually uh, the Detroit and Miami lines are split. So, what I was thinking was four years for Sanchez is actually three years for Sanchez. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you go back beyond three years, then Linscom obviously has a huge, huge edge over him. Uh, does Linscom get anywhere close to what Sanchez gets? I don't think so. I don't think he gets there. Um, I think his. I mean, there's just been too much degradation in his in his stuff i think for anyone to not be worried about that i mean he's but just, the performance is the same i know but i just i have a hard time imagining a team giving a big deal like that to a guy who throws 90 uh and used to throw 94 not that long ago and and you know has that frame that people have always worried about that he wouldn't last uh I don't think he gets there. I could see him, could see him getting a three-year deal or something. Um, I don't think anyone gives him five years. We just recorded a full show. <laughs> I didn't even get to my banter yet. Why didn't we just pick? Why didn't we just say our topics for Kenley Jansen and, <laughs> and Tim Lincecum? I had no idea we would have so much to say about that. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so. Uh, okay, well, a couple of mine were quick. Just uh, just a Casper Wells update. Since okay. since for a while we had a Casper Wells update, every other show it seemed like uh, the new Casper Wells update is that he was claimed by the Phillies. So no kidding. Yeah, Cla- claimed, but not uh, claimed by the Phillies. He's not he's not on the Phillies, right? He was just claimed by the Phillies. Um, that's what I'm asking. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. Well, <laughs> that's irrelevant. It says this headline. This headline in the Tribune says I think he, Sox's Rios reportedly claimed off waivers. Wells, Wells to, to Phillies. Phillies. Yeah, it's yeah, right. Uh, so that that's what yeah, the headline okay. says. Sox outfielder Casper Wells was claimed by claimed off waivers by the Phillies. No trade was involved in the waiver claim, and the Sox did not announce a corresponding roster move at the time. Wells will join the Phillies against the Nationals this weekend. Huh. So nobody in the AL claimed him. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Casper Wells. So what is that? His fourth organization this year, I think. Um, and he I is. I to say fifth. 
Uh, let's see. So he's yeah, played. Yeah, well, because Mariner, Mariners, Blue Jays, A's, White Sox. Uh huh. Okay, and now Phillies, and so he's managed to hit uh, 167, <laughs> 225, 182 in 71 plate appearances this year. Uh, 71 plate appearances while he has been probably waiting to be traded again and not getting regular playing time or anything. Yeah. Um, 76 plate appearances. Yeah. Uh, right. So, so, yeah. So, yeah. 71 at bats. Yes. Um, he is, he is tied for the league lead in ERA. Oh, sorry. I was reading his White Sox numbers. So yeah, 76 plate appearances, 155 average, uh, 211, 169. So, uh, <laughs> and so he's just bad. Yeah, I mean, tiny sample and lots of extenuating circumstances, <laughs> but maybe he just hasn't looked all that good. Um, and uh, then the other Phillies news, since we talked about Delman Young and how the, the the real crime wasn't signing him, but continuing to play him when he turned out to still be Delman Young. Uh, so he has now been benched uh, shortly after the podcast when we talked about that, because... Dominic Brown is back, and uh, the Phillies have decided that they would rather have Darren Roof playing than Delman Young. So, mm-hmm. belatedly, uh, belatedly, that happened. Um, Still 27. Yeah, so... Is he younger than Darren Roof? Uh, he must be not much older. Roof was 26 last season, right? So he's... He's uh, 27. He, uh, July 28th, yeah. 1986 is Roof. I might have been. I might. Let me see. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, young sorry. Is young is young is older. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. About ten months. Ten months older. <laughs> um, so yeah. At some point, we should maybe this off season we'll we'll revisit whether whether he will make it to thirty in the majors, which we talked about last winter. Um, oh, that almost that almost went dark. <laughs> that was, you had me worried for a second. <laughs> I did not want to talk about that. <laughs> um. Okay, and then uh, I wanted to quickly ask you uh, whether you think there is anything to the idea that a team can, to any any extent, have another team's number, as the saying goes. Uh, a lot of people are talking about that now because the Tigers have won 12 straight games against the Indians. Um, and so there's the, there's the psychological aspect, I guess, of a team potentially being intimidated in some way by by another team um if only just because they've lost to them so many times in a row they could potentially start to believe that that they have some sort of disadvantage against that team but what i'm i guess more interested about is is uh is there is there any is are there favorable and unfavorable matchups in baseball uh putting aside psychological factors you know, when you, I mean, it seems like something that, that is much more important in other sports when you have people matching up with other people at certain positions or, you know, a team that specializes in the run and another team that's good at stopping the run and that sort of thing. Uh, are there any, are there any cricket examples you can think of, Ben? <laughs> I, I wish, but, but no, it seems like maybe there would be some cricket examples. I don't know. Maybe people can write in and tell us, but, but do you think that there is anything to that in baseball? Are there any instances where a team matches up particularly well or poorly with another team to the to the degree that it's 
it's more it's predictive than just yeah it's more predictive than just or not 12 turns in a row but just that they would have a better chance or worse chance against another team than you would expect based on their their record or their underlying numbers uh well i mean you can think of a few small ways like if a team has a a particularly good left-handed reliever and uh they're facing the phillies of 2009 or 2010 uh, you know, that would be a case where they match up particularly well, but only in one small segment. You can imagine a team that runs a lot against a team like the Angels right now that doesn't hold runners on at all, uh, like at all, or a team that maybe had a knuckleballer or something like that. You could see a case where that might show up. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, I would I would hate to to rule out anything like this just because all sorts of things turn out to be valid that you don't see the reason for right away. But I would never, I would never take it particularly seriously. I mean, yeah. there's, there's all sorts of teams playing all sorts of teams 12 times this year. Eventually one's going to win all of them. Mm-hmm. I wish there were something to this really, because it would give us something else to, to analyze. I always think of this when, when it's playoff time and suddenly we're we're writing about every series and covering every angle of every team, uh, which we never do during the regular season. But in the postseason, we were analyzing whether a team matches up well with another team, and there's just never all that much to say about it. And I kind of I kind of wish there were. Yeah, I mean, everybody basically plays baseball the same. Mm-hmm. There's not there's not that much you can do. If you start trying to think about like how to put pressure on another team, it's like, well, you can hit and run. I mean, you can <laughs> yeah. you can bunt. You can try to bunt. Mm-hmm. You can bunt more. That's about <laughs> it. I mean, basically, the only trick in baseball is bunting. Like, that's the one thing you can do that's tricky. Mm-hmm. Is like like I'm gonna not hit it very hard. I'm gonna hit it as softly as I can. Like like can you defend this? Mm-hmm. And that's about it. Otherwise, it's basically like just play baseball. Um, so you know, there's there isn't a lot of variety between teams. I mean, I don't know. Like I I feel this way when you do playoff previews too. And I mean, you to some degree, it's interesting when you notice that you know one team is a team that puts the ball in play more than any other team and the other team it has the you know lowest defensive efficiency in baseball and you think okay well that's significant you know mm-hmm. one team doesn't strike out and the other team really needs strikeouts but you're, it's all pretty marginal mm-hmm. and most games aren't that close yeah uh okay and then last bit of banter um Craig Calcaterra at Hardball Talk found this quote from a Kerry Wood feature uh, on csnchicago.com. Did you see this? Nope. Uh, it, it's a great quote. So it's it's kind of the it's the classic uh, ball player back in my day quote, where the retired player talks about how how younger players, current players, don't play the game the same way or don't have the same respect for the game. Except it's coming from Kerry Wood, who uh, who's young. I believe is younger than Darren Ruff. <laughs> yeah, almost. He's he's 36. I mean, he was recently a baseball player. Uh, so this is the quote. You have to play with respect. So he's talking about, uh, he was asked about biogenesis and, and the suspensions and PEDs. So Wood says, you have to play with respect and respect the game. When I came up and when guys like Todd Hollinsworth came up, we all <laughs> felt the game didn't owe us anything. And we respected the game for what it was and kept that integrity. I think over the last few years, we've seen that change. 
a lot of guys will get to the big leagues, and it's almost like baseball's been waiting for them, and they feel like the game owes them something. Uh, so Kerry Wood uh, came up in 1998, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> which and he played played for the Cubs. Uh, so he was right front row center for the the Buns or the the Sosa McGuire home run chase and the the heart of the steroid era in baseball. Uh, and yet he is now he's retired and suddenly somehow he's drawing this distinction between when he played and. And now it just seems to be this ingrained thing that uh, we can't ever get rid of. And everyone has these uh, these college courses that they reminisce about uh, that were really influential for them and made them decide what they wanted to do in life or something. Some some great professor. Uh, and I never really had one of those. But I did take a class in sophomore year, I think it was, uh, on the history of baseball and America. Um, and I think like 75% of the people who enrolled in the class just read history of baseball, uh, and thought it was all baseball. And then they were very surprised and disappointed when there was America. Um, but the, that was kind of a, a course that I always think about cause we would read these, uh, old baseball documents, you know, from a hundred years ago, 150 years ago, and everything was the same. Um, the same arguments, the same complaints, the same fears expressed then, uh, that Raul, we see. Raul Abanez. <laughs> yes, he was, yeah, he was, <laughs> right, he was throwing balls into the, into the, the outfield lawn. Um, so none of this ever changes. And so that, I always think of that when, uh, when there's some new controversy or people fear that baseball is about to be destroyed by some new development, you can almost always find a very close equivalent. Uh, in in ancient baseball history, just a, a really close parallel. I mean, it's it's never really as as bad as we think it's going to be, uh, or as or as game altering as we think it is. Um, but you see it. I mean, every every single generation has these players making the back in my day quotes and usually saying exactly the same things. Uh, and and this isn't just baseball. It's just it's culture in general. But I always I always wonder why we why we can't shake this and it's not it's not every player I mean you you certainly see uh, kind of more open-minded players who won't fall back into this cliche but it's it's pretty common that as soon as you get out of baseball you immediately consider the baseball that you played to be the best baseball and every baseball that comes after that is inferior baseball um, and maybe you see the same thing with with fans who grew up watching baseball in the 80s or something and consider that to be the best form of baseball and every other baseball is a pale imitation of that baseball. Um, I grew up in the 80s and I consider it to be definitely inferior to what we have now. That's good. Uh, I, I don't I don't hear that that often. I hear a lot of people who uh, are nostalgic about 80s baseball and think it was some purer form of the game. Um so I don't know. I don't really have any any great observation about this, but it's something that I always try to keep in mind whenever I'm uh, hearing reactions to any news story that that most of it isn't isn't new. Yep. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. So that that went okay. Uh, yeah. So end of episode housekeeping stuff. Uh, you should join our Facebook group if you're on Facebook. Uh, it is uh, facebook.com slash group slash effectively wild. There are 
200 plus people in there talking about baseball stuff. Um, you can rate and review us on iTunes. And if you want to sponsor us or send us questions for next week's email show, our address is podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Uh, so we will be back on Monday and have a wonderful weekend.